everyone. Welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters with your questers, Josh and Dan. I am Dan. I am Josh. And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things confidential and clandestine and a little bit of quizzical because we have a couple of emails, but then we will talk about the secret society that is known as the Whisperers. We won't whisper throughout the podcast. No. But we'll talk about the whisperers themselves because we don't need people like cranking their volume up all day long to try and hear us and then shout at them and blow their eardrums out. That's not fun. So we're not going to do that. But first, as I said, we have a couple of emails to get to. First up on the list is one from K. Scott, who's got a quick one for us. If you have any questions for us after we read these, feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. And off we go. Greetings! I have a cartographical question for you. How does one actually get to Thrall or Bartertown? There isn't a river above ground, not a, nor a road on any map that leads there. Assuming folks aren't flying, what path do they take? Do they go over the Thrall Mountains? Do they follow the old Theron Road up to the Sirtis and west onto the Aladair River? Do they follow the Coil River north from Lake Ban? None of these actually make it to Thrall or Bartertown according to any of the maps I have. How can the kingdom be such a powerhouse in Barsave if there isn't a way to get to it? This has bothered me for years. Thanks. In confusion, K. Scott. Josh? Yeah, this is actually addressed pretty clearly in the first edition Thrall sourcebook. The most common route is, at least river-wise, is sailing up the Coil River. There is a port called Duranis that is located on the Coil River it is sort of the closest port location to Thrall, and there is actually a road slash trail that leads from there to the kingdom. While it doesn't necessarily appear on any maps per se, there is a pretty notable road that goes out from the gates of Thrall right through the middle of Bartertown, and then kind of branches out from there to the various caravan routes and trails that have been established by the various merchant houses and uh, His Majesty's Exploratory Force, which are the royal Throlic troops that go out and blaze trails and whatnot. Yeah, that's the So while it it? doesn't actually appear on a map, there is a fairly significant road that is the result of several trails kind of joining together in the plains southwest of the mountains that leads to a broad, well-traveled road that leads right up to the gates. Cool. Yeah, I think the the Royal Road is when it comes out from Thrall through Bartertown. Correct? Am I? Yeah, that's. That? I think that's. I think it's called the Royal Road. And and okay. the book I think goes into a little bit more detail about what exactly it. Remember, the Nations of Barsi Volume One for the Red Brick Edition and the Thrall Sourcebook First Edition both have really good maps. Yes, uh, uh, Bartertown and. The Grand Bazaar and Thrall itself. So, so I'm looking at the first edition book. And hey, if we're selling K. Scott on buying a book, all the better for us. Kind of late in the first edition book, it's in the um, the tour of the kingdom. So, the Royal Road to Thrall is a man-made embankment of crushed stone that gradually slopes up from Barter Town to the Mountain Kingdom's entrance, and then later on gets into Barter Town. There's actually an entire chapter on Barter Town. That's basically the deal. Fair enough. There is a road. It's just not something that's actually shown up on any maps. Yeah. Because roads and such, the way that we kind of conceive of them today mm-hmm. is a little bit unusual. 
Um, the old Theron Road that's there that is marked on some early maps is the one that's sort of connected to the pilgrimage route mm-hmm. and kind of shows up there as a result of that. But there are trails and caravan routes and so forth that are reasonably well-traveled and all sort of converge in the plains southwest of the Thrall Mountains to lead t- through Bartertown and to Thrall itself. And I also remember way, way back when that there's also a, a series of markers, triangular, like um, obelisk-shaped markers in and about Thrall, uh, the whole p- province of Barsave, kind of directing you toward you know, like a, like old fashioned uh, railroad signs, you know, this many miles, this direction for this city, this many miles, this direction for this city, pointing off in different directions and such. So I remember these triangular shaped stones in and about the entire province directing you to certain places. So yeah, that first gets mentioned in the bar safe boxed set. That's where I knew it from. Thank you. Yeah, it, it does get <laughs> mentioned brain. very briefly. Yeah, it does get mentioned very briefly in the Thrill source book. Yay for searchable yeah. PDFs. Woohoo! The exploratory force maintains the distance markers located all across Barsave, and then it references the Explorer's Guide to Barsave, which is sort of the fiction book that's part of the Barsave box set. I knew I had one. That's a deep, deep pull for me. I had, I knew I had one somewhere on that one. Thank you, K. Scott. Uh, hopefully that'll help out other people as well who are listening, just in case. Uh, our next and last email for the day is from Andy, because of course, and hi both. So I haven't played Earthon for ages. Earthon First Edition, in fact, but I have a fantastic game master who's about to go live with Earthon Fourth Edition. Just a quick Yay. shout out at Paul, one of the best game masters I've ever had the pleasure to play for. So when he said he was going to run Earthon Four, my addictive personality traits kicked in, and I started researching Earthon Four and landed on your podcast. I never listen to podcasts, but guys, I am addicted. Thank you. Do much. Um, he said, do, I'm going to say so. Thank you so much. The group I'm going to be in is three new players and myself, plus the game master. So I've kind of been typecast again, and it looks like I'll be playing a wizard, my personally preferred magician type, as we have probably an obsidian warrior, dwarf weaponsmith, and the third player tends to go melee. So I'm going elf because I let the elf background in Earthon is so unique. My thinking on Wizard is that it gives us a social character who can do some stuff in combat. I'm thinking style-wise, the older Dr. Jones. Now, I've jumped around a load of your, a lot of your, a load of your podcasts, including the history ones, wizard ones, astral one, elf, nax, and scholar. Here are the questions. One, the Game Master is going to start in a care. Are there many cares that still haven't opened up? There are as many as the individual GM wants to provide. Many of them have been opened up, but given the self-sufficient nature of care design and the fact that the indicator that it would be safe to emerge from the care, the elemental clock that was common in many cares, though not necessarily all, stopped at some point, it is certainly possible that there are cares here now even a hundred years after the quote-unquote end of the scourge that might still be sealed up for whatever reason. The third edition adventure, Ardanian's Revenge, is based around the idea of a care that is still sealed and actually is written with sort of two different approaches. One where you can play as characters within the care and lead ultimately to its emergence, or if you've got characters who are already like out on the surface and whatnot, kind of discovering from outside what's going on with that situation. 
it's possible if uh, if you want to maybe suggest that to your GM, they're looking for ideas or inspiration. Uh, you can yep. get that book in PDF and uh, have that as a kind of inspiration source, perhaps. So yeah, even if he's already got a plan, yeah, that has some. Really even good if you're ideas. not necessarily going to be using that care or that storyline per se, it does mm-hmm. have a description of hey, here's what things are like in this care. Yep. Uh, and yeah, I've I've run that one. I've run Ardenian's Revenge. It's actually a really good adventure, and it's got some beautiful ideas, some good um, social constructs to go with, and some good magic items in there as well. So even if he yep. just pilfers some, the best stuff. Add on, tech it, go for it. Uh, it is a pretty solid introductory adventure. Um, obviously, as it was written for third edition, there would need to be some, if you were going to use it, uh, this is to anybody that's out there, you would need to do a little bit of mechanical updating and whatnot to bring it up to fourth edition. But it's yeah. still a, a, a solid introductory adventure, especially if you're going to be starting it in the care. Agreed. Question number two. Is there anything I really should or should not focus on as I really want the other players to get the limelight? Is there anything wizards overlap with into other disciplines, mainly around the dwarven weaponsmith? He doesn't want to overlap. Yeah. From the character list that he provided, Obsidian Warrior Wizard is not going to overlap with that a lot. And if the third player typically does melee type stuff, you're probably not going to run into too many issues there, depending on what they take. You know, yeah. whether if they go, I mean, Sky Raider, Air Sailor, Beastmaster. Yeah. Like those two definitely don't have a lot of overlap. Swordmaster has a little bit, but it's a very, just in terms of if you're looking at social type things, um, but it's a very different approach than you would typically find as a wizard. Swordmaster gets oh, yeah. access to actually more social talents, I think, than the wizard does. The wizard gets like conversation and etiquette, whereas the swordmaster, uh, if they take them, has like first impression and things like that. Yeah, a plethora. <laughs> Air sailor, uh, again, I you know for, for against for combat types, you you probably don't have anything to worry about. There is a little bit of overlap with some of the stuff that weaponsmith does in terms of wizard optional talents. Like wizard gets access to mm-hmm. item history. You probably won't need to take that as one of your options if you've got a weaponsmith in the party because weaponsmith gets access to item history. And that would be a great way to give that character the spotlight. But yeah, what you could probably do is um, if you've got the books, compare the wizard talent list, both Mm -hmm. their discipline talents, but especially their talent options to the discipline talents and talent options available to the weaponsmith and see what is what they have in common, like what appears on both lists, and just keep that in mind as, okay, maybe I'll go a different route to avoid treading on the toes of what they might be doing, especially if there are optional talents in the wizard list that are discipline talents for the weaponsmith. Yeah. That's probably the, you know, the ones that you really want to avoid. Even if you're sort of coming back to Earthdawn after a long time and you've got players that are brand new to it, playing like a, 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 a more aged character, even if you're not necessarily more experienced advancement wise, but being able to maybe what you would want to do with that is leverage those free skill points that you get at character creation into like more knowledge skills so that you could use that as a justification for how you might know things about the setting 
um, so that you could sort of present those in character where the other characters might not. Of course, if you're starting in a care, then that might like the knowledge and information that they would have access to about the outside world would be woefully out of date. And so maybe looking at history and legends and stuff like that as the kind of skills where you could maybe get some info there. But that's completely up to you. What you'll probably want to end up doing in terms of your design for the wizard and magicians do this in general is to look at spells that enhance your friends capabilities with buffs that increase their damage Mm -hmm. or whatever, rather than looking at straight, just like straight direct damage type stuff in terms of what you can do, because it will feel even more awesome when you can say cast, I don't even know if this is in fourth edition specifically yet, but say like iron hand or combat fury or something like that on the warrior to boost their numbers and make them even better at what they do. But also stuff that will boost their defenses and whatnot, especially against magical stuff. Astral interference is something that you may like, I don't think you maybe get that until second circle, but you know, something to look at in terms of making it more difficult for enemy magic types to affect your, your typically with lower mystic defense, uh, combat, uh, uh, combat allies. Although the weaponsmith will probably have a pretty decent, mystic defense because yeah. they have they tend to have a high perception totally but yeah no that's that's really cool um like a group of four it sounds like you've got probably going to have a couple of solid frontline combatants mm-hmm. then they'll have sort of you as a buffer slash range slash perception investigative knowledge type person yeah and maybe lean a little bit towards letting the weaponsmith take more of the social face talky role in things, if that's something that the player is in line with, because the weaponsmith is a little bit more suited to that than the wizard is typically. No, I think it's, I think it's a good loadout. You got, like I said, warrior, combat type, secondary, and you got weaponsmith who's somewhat uh, back office personnel, um, you know, downtime. Yeah. If you've got a warrior and another melee combatant, the weaponsmith probably will be a good, like, second line fighter type. They're not going to be able to necessarily directly deal out the damage the way that a warrior or swordmaster would. But they have the forge weapon stuff to provide their allies with enhancements and have some, you know, we talked about the the weaponsmith high circle stuff actually just a few episodes ago. And a lot of their stuff ends up being very solid. Yeah kind of situation kind of tanky to use that kind of well term and hey them. andy uh direct your your new players since they're all brand new to the episodes where we're talking about the first eight circles of those disciplines yeah that will help them josh's um uh, advice will definitely lead them down the right path where they want to do it and then you know two or three circles in and not go i wish i would have taken that one instead they'll know what to do right off the bat so that's why we're doing all those episodes in two parts suggest that they they don't have to listen to all of them we're not uh, begging for an audience. They just have to listen to those specific episodes to get the feel of what they want to do with that character. We recommend those uh, episodes for them. As, as I always recommend with new characters, with new players to Earth Dawn, once you get a few sessions in and you have a sense of what you want to do, yeah, I always recommend that a GM allow a certain amount of flexibility in terms of tweaking or rebuilding things if you find that something you initially took was not working quite like you had hoped. 
Yeah. Can I retcon this talent? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, so, yeah, let us, let us like keep us updated. Let us know how it goes. If you, if oh. you or your friends have any other questions, please, please feel and, free to contact. Uh, ta- Welcome back. Oh, yes. Welcome back. And uh, do tell us the tales. We'd love to hear the legends. Want to hear those? Want to read those? Uh, to everybody else uh, who's listening. Uh, question number three. Any hints on when we will see the new big book of spells? I think Morgan just put this out in his uh, update. Yeah, Morgan just did an update on the blog this past weekend. Um, this is over at facetgames.com. And as soon as it can be done, it's it's production process is delayed a little bit because mm-hmm. we're desperately trying to get uh, the final design bits locked down for Vasgothia so we can get that book, the preview of that out to backers, mm-hmm. and then relatively soon, uh, knock on wood, launching the Grand Bazaar. Mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's being worked on um, some progress is being made it's not going as quickly as we would like but when we have more specific details we will share them andy it's not my place to say because i'm not actually working on the book but here's my bet i think it'll be done in the first half of the 2020s just saying (laughs) and since we're already halfway through that just have the other half to wait for so that's my that's my bet uh question number four who do i bribe to get the legend point cost on new spells removed yes hurt your podcast reasons um many many thanks on a great podcast andy keep them coming andy um you would have to bribe your gm to see if they want to house rule that to not be a thing yeah (laughs) hey if you want to bribe me Whatever, but that's not going to change yeah. what's in the books and not going to change what your GM might do mm-hmm. uh, at the table. I can appreciate, as someone who plays a magician, I can appreciate yeah. the frustration that sort of arises from needing to spend legend points to learn new spells. But I think because of the flexibility that they offer and how each of them is sort of a you know, special tool that allows them to approach things in a different way that they need to have some kind of investment in them. And grand scheme of things in terms of the overall advancement of a character, it it does mean, especially at lower circles, that you might be slightly behind the other characters when it comes to advancement. But but not for long. In terms of the actual percentage it's not that much like the amount that it costs to learn new spells. When you start getting up into those journeyman circles, it's cheaper to learn spells than it is sometimes to advance your talent ranks. Like you can learn several spells yeah. for what it costs to raise one of your talents, a rank. Mm-hmm. So in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of like the, the karma cost back in first edition in the grand scheme of things. It, it's troublesome early on, but I don't think it's a huge problem in the end. Fair. I agree with that. Uh, okay, so that takes care of our emails. Uh, thank you, uh, Kyle, K. Scott, and Andy for both of those emails. We'd love to hear anybody else's emails coming in. On to our secret society. Haha, <laughs> whisper, hand-wringing. This is the whisperers in the secret societies of Bar Save. This is... The essay wasn't a lot to mine from. It was more examples of how you might be able to run into them or how the legends might spread. So this might be a quick one as well. It's a nice little entry to have. It's a very widespread cult that serves the mad passion Vestriel. 
the trickster yes. passion. Uh, and if you need any information on that, that's Earth Dawn Survival Guide, episode number 7070. Uh, these are pretty much, in my words, not anybody else's, these are the rumor artists, the gossip mongers, and the exploiters of the seven deadly sins, because they're there to sow distrust, misinformation, and deceit, and whatever they can do. Yeah, specifically, they are dedicated to Vestrial's aspect of lies and deception, and the negative things that can come about as a result of that. Because they are all passion worshippers, they do not have any significant formal organization, at least nothing Mm -hmm. that's presented within the essay. Unlike the Crownbreakers, who we talked about several episodes back, the one that was dedicated to Ragok, that is a specific Mm -hmm. cult led by the specific person dedicated to a particular goal. The Whisperers are a lot more nebulous and all of them sort of dedicated to that idea of deception and lies that is part of Vestrial's purview. Yeah. So this is more like somebody who just dedicates themselves to Vestrial takes it upon themselves to spread as much deceit as possible and move on to the next. And so I can't say it's to create chaos, but it ends up creating chaos. Um, And... Uh, so is discord and mistrust and so forth and so on. Most of this is uncoordinated misinformation to sow that deceit and to lead to that chaos. And they, the cult members themselves, the people who are dedicated to Vestrial in this regard, refer to Vestrial as the deceiver, even though he's known as the trickster. So take uh, that uh, for what you will. And when they dedicate themselves to this, they all end up with a lidded eye tattoo on their arms somewhere. Um, not that they try to keep it hidden. Some of them do. Some really don't. Um, but the, to Josh's point, the greatest strength of their entire loose knit organization is their anonymity and their decentralized structure. They don't have, like, like Josh said, there's not one person calling all the shots and organizing all this. It's just little bands here and there. Maybe there's somebody in charge, but they're so good at keeping that secret. We don't know. (laughs) Well, I would say that the most likely answer is that the passion themselves is the one that's ultimately calling the shots and directing the activity of the whispers, not necessarily on a day to day. You are going to go and tell this lie sort of situation, but in the sense that occasionally Groups of whisperers will form to pull off a larger deception or plot, and those are probably on some level directed by their patron. That's a fair cop. Like I said, I think you're right. The mad passion is behind all of it and would occasionally whisper in somebody's ear, you know, lead them to the next. That you could essentially look at the activity of individual whisperers as they go about their business as those acts of devotion in service of the passion. And then occasionally the passion will provide individuals or groups of individuals with a particular task or goal that serves some greater purpose that the passion wants to put forward. So the essay itself had, like I said, a, a few pretty good examples of how legend would spread or how maybe to use them 
in an in-game setting way, these are still letters to the, the Theron general. There's a there's three examples on how to use them, how to introduce the players to them, and then there's the questor powers that they put in the game as well, which you can probably ignore if you have the Secret Society's Bar Save book, because all the questor powers were upgraded or updated um, in the questor's book in fourth edition. So that's a whole different podcast. We covered both of those. We covered Vestrial and the questors. Done. So here's my question for Josh. Since we've, since, like I said, this essay didn't have a whole lot to mine from. It's a pretty straightforward uh, cult in Secret Society. How would you personally use the Whisperers? I can't say on an ongoing basis, but how would you introduce them? And, and for what purpose? How's that? Well, I think if you want to introduce the Whisperers to your game, if you want to use the Whisperers, even if they're not necessarily as a major focus, you can use the examples from Secret Societies as ways mm-hmm. that you could have a Questor of Vestrial sowing discord or trouble or whatever. Yeah. You know, you could either have the group kind of come upon the aftermath of a situation where the whispers have caused problems in a location. Mm-hmm. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is to have the characters in the course of researching something or looking into something, some kind of investigative situation here be misinformed intentionally by the whispers, Um, whether that is something that you decide to make a long-term rival or NPC enemy or antagonist that's going to be featured. And I would imagine that if that's something that you do for most player groups, if they are deceived or led astray by an NPC, they tend to get kind of cranky about such things. And even if you don't intend them to necessarily be a long-term enemy, the group Mm -hmm. will likely swear some kind of vengeance oath and try to track them down and get back at them for it. Absolutely. Because that's how I would use them. I would would say we kind of take for granted that everything presented in any adventure, homemade or pre-gen, is that we accept that that's all truth. We accept that that's all um, fact. And as players, we kind of get lulled into, well, they, they told us this, it's got to be the thing. We're not going to question it. And so I would, every once in a while, slip in some of the whisperers just to make sure they, you know, double, double check your information <laughs> before you go off half cock somewhere and, and yeah. investigate X, Y, or Z. So I'd, I'd use them as a like, truth MacGuffin. Yeah, that, that's, that's one possibility. You could also use them as sort of a thematic kind of thing if you want to play with themes related to truth or deception or anything along those lines if you have some kind of long-term plan in mind introducing them early as this mysterious group that shows up and kind of spreads falsehoods and rumors and so forth that cause problems for people. And then gradually, maybe as the campaign goes on, you find out hints at a more significant plot that they might be up to that Mm -hmm. could leave things astray. As an example, although this obviously didn't involve the whispers, but to talk about a, a kind of case where like how severe this sort of thing could potentially be, 
if we go back and look at um, Prelude to War and the assassination of King Varulus and how the Denerastus planted information to point the finger for his death to the Therans and thereby leading to actual conflict or war between Thrall and Thera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having a, a group of whisperers, having a, a small cell of them be involved in spinning some kind of major deception that could disrupt or cause harm to a significant group of people, starting some kind of conflict between groups or within a powerful group or organization would be a notable like campaign goal to try and thwart that if you got mm-hmm. wind of it ahead of time, as opposed to perhaps some of the smaller scale stuff. Like, you know, one of the examples in the essay is this person shows up in town and starts establishing themselves as a trustworthy broker of information by providing some small hints and so forth that actually do mostly pay off. But then once they have gained everybody's trust, starts providing information that is blatantly leading people to serious harm or death. Yeah. And that's a that's kind of a more personal level, but having a group of three or four whisperers that are spreading conflicting information and maybe bringing different factions in conflict with each other, whether they are separate power organizations or within that, there's a lot that could potentially be done there for an organization whose ultimate goal is just merely to spread false information, which makes Vestriel happy when it leads to suffering. Fair. I had to look up because I'm, I, I, I knew there was a spell that the illusionist had that could see through falsehoods. And in fourth edition, I looked it up. It's the third circle illusionist spell. And then I woke up. And I think if, if, if you use enough of the whispers in your campaign and you have an illusionist, they're going to have that spell at the ready and be using it kind of ad nauseum to check on every single situation to make sure that, yes, this is truthful. You can proceed now. And if it's not, there you are. Uh, and if you didn't know where that spell is, it's page 302 of the player's guide. So just one of those, wanted to point that out. Um, <clears throat> Like I said, there's not a whole lot to mine from the essays other than examples, and they are fine, perfectly serviceable examples. This is a pretty straightforward cult. There's not a whole lot of other nuance or history to them. It's just Vestrial has whispered in their ears, go so, go so deceit just to keep my legend alive and you know feed me power because this is your, as you pointed out, their uh, acts of devotion for all the followers, and then go get, go get your tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> This chapter in the Secret Societies book comes with three basic adventure hook, adventure idea yeah, that would all serve reasonably well as a way to introduce the Whisperers as a concept in your game. Again, revolving around that kind of personal interaction where the characters show up at a place that they are not familiar with and get given information by someone that leads them astray or into trouble mm-hmm. in some sense. Or my, my, my other favorite one is the, you're looking for directions and a whisperer actually tells you where to go to find that spot. And it's in a bad part of town. You get jumped, you get attacked, uh, you get maybe um, mugged, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then you have to go find that guy. And as you said, get some retribution a little bit and maybe, Maybe. 
if you can, whatever. Uh, but yeah, this is one of those things of we, we, we've become too trusting as players, uh, as player characters, that everything we're presented with is fact or, or truthful. And I would just use this to keep keep my players on edge a little bit. Sure. The one that I actually kind of like is the is the third one of those. Mm-hmm. This is one a little bit more suited to more experienced characters who have who have done some stuff returning to a place that -hmm. they have been before after having been away for a while. They find everybody's opinion of them has been turned sour. People that were previously welcoming are a little bit more reticent. Inns that were happy to have them are a little bit more reserved or even closing their doors to them. And they Mm -hmm. find out that the reason that this is the case is that these stories of what they have been doing while they have been away have been circulating with proof, but nobody really remembers exactly how they began or what the proof was, but everybody believes them. And it's the yeah. the work of a whisperer that has been spreading falsehoods about the group back in an area that they are otherwise familiar with and mm-hmm. can do quite a bit to sow a little bit of paranoia or uncertainty, um, if, if you are going with sort of a darker game, like what's going on here, what what's the, the situation? In a game that is on some level thematically about your legend and the stories of your deeds serving as inspiration for others to follow or to provide a kind of light in the darkness. Yeah. Having an organization who's very existence in some level is predicated on the idea of undercutting that mm-hmm. can be a very strong thematic foil. Well, yeah, because now you have to go take care of your public image before all these legends get written down about you that you don't want out there. So you need to go do some damage control, figure this out, and set your legends straight for posterity. Because after you yeah. go, these still might be told. And it's not only the notion of, okay, we need to go find out what's going on and track this person or these individuals down in order to restore Mm -hmm. our reputations, that could lead you to the discovery of the cult and perhaps some kind of broader thing that they are involved with. Yeah, because you're... you're Perhaps that if, if there's some kind of larger campaign arc that they are being involved with, that the uh, whisperers are behind in some sense, that they are continuing to do what they do, but specifically targeting the player characters in order to undermine their reputations so that when they get involved more directly, perhaps with what's going on, people don't believe them. Almost getting like maybe kind of a of a Cassandra situation where they're telling the truth, but because their reputations have been shot, nobody is willing to believe them or take action based on what they've got. Yeah, I'm reminded of the quote... It's attributed to Mark Twain, but I don't think it's actually his or not. Uh, a lie can travel halfway around the world while well, the truth is still getting its pants on. Yeah, I think it's attributed to, to Twain. I mean, most things, a lot of things are attributed to Mark Twain. Yeah. Whether it's that one actually is legitimately his. his or not. But yeah, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good quote. Yeah. Um, I was trying to look up because I was trying to find an easy who actually said it. And it's a long paragraph thing. So I'm not going to bother with that one right now. However, that's the kind of damage control you need to do is these lies and falsehoods will spread faster than the truth. So as part of that larger campaign to Josh's point, you need to go track that one down, rectify it, and then burn all the copies <laughs> before they get, uh, in, in, uh, enshrined in the library of thrall. So, uh, we've given you 
where the whispers came from, what they do exactly, the third circle illusion spell, and it may be how to see through all all of this if you happen to have an illusionist nearby or in your party. Other than that, folks, if you have any questions for us about how to use the whisperers and if you want any further information, um, I would say go look up some nice art on lidded eye tattoos just so you can have it at the ready for a visual aid for your pl- for your players. That's just me. I like visual aids. But other than that... Yeah, go back to the episode that Dan mentioned where we talked about Vestrial and the Questors of Vestrial and what's available to them in terms oh, yeah. of 4th edition and what their powers are and how you could leverage those in terms of the deception and social manipulation that's involved with that Absolutely. sort of thing, if you're going to be bringing yes. them into your game. Uh, and then figure out the renown and legendary status if they start these lies is spreading. So there's that. This is an organization that, unlike some of the others that we covered, where their presence in a game really kind of focuses on a particular story arc or type of thing that's going on. The Whisperers are a lot more general purpose. And any time that you've got this kind of clandestine, rumor mongering, deceiving kind of thing can be dropped in really easily. Totally. So until next time, folks, if you have any questions for us, as I said, please feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. Until then, it is time for you to go misinform your legend. Good night, everybody. 